ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rad Religion Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood. And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yay! It's me. Hello, everyone. As Mark mentioned, I'm Robert Winfrey. This is Damn You Hollywood. Tonight, we are having a discussion about ah, the, the, what would you say, the excavation of nostalgia and how that's all Hollywood is these days, kind of. I liked what I said before off air. Hollywood, or at least the Sony Corporation, giving uh, everyone 45 and younger a giant hand job. How about considering that this is directed by the son of the original director, we could call it the passing of the torch. That's also another way of putting it. Hey, that's Alexis Haina from Honeysuckle Rose Creations. Hi, Alexis. That is. <laughs> so, yep, yeah, we're talking Ghostbusters Afterlife, the sequel to Ghostbusters 2, skipping right over and not acknowledging Ghostbusters 2016. As it should be. No <laughs> we, argument here. I, uh... Spent several hours over the course of two podcasts talking about 2016. There's no need to bring that up again. That is all re-aired and in the archive for anyone that wants to listen to it. So one of the things about this movie that I think becomes abundantly clear is Sony recognizing that Ghostbusters is a valuable IP and trying to rehabilitate it, create new fans, and uh, sort of apologize for the Paul Feig disaster, uh, such as it was. So, I, but I am curious, Alexis. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk of, oh, this was for the fans. This was for the fans of the Ghostbusters franchise. Uh, this came out in 1984. So, like, are you a huge fan of the franchise? Did you watch the cartoon? And I bring that up because I the the critically acclaimed guys talked about. Um, I think it was critically acclaimed. It was them or half in the bag, one of the two, talked about how, um, like, a lot of people I think of your generation prop may not have been as familiar with the movie. And Robert, you guys are the same age, but we're more familiar with the cartoon, and that's what created the second wave of fans. So, like, for, like I'm part of first wave, and then you guys are second wave, which is more associated with the cartoon. So, I'm curious to see where you land with the franchise. Well, yeah, I was born in 1984, so mm-hmm. I obviously did not go see the movie when it was first in theaters. Sure. Um, I didn't see the second movie when it came into theaters because I would have been either four or five came out in 89 right but uh yeah i did watch the uh, animated series i watched that every weekend on saturday morning cartoons uh got a little older and i was actually introduced to the second movie before the first movie really yeah kind of weird same thing with the um, star wars i actually saw empire strikes back before i saw the first star wars but i had seen so many parodies and clips mm-hmm. and all this stuff of the first star wars movie i kind of could piece together in my little child brain what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see the documentary on Netflix about like, I, I, I again, this has been talked about in a, in a few different shows. Ghostbusters is this weird cultural touchstone that nobody can explain. They don't know why it resonates with people the way that it does, but this created chapters of real life, quote unquote, Ghostbusters. Have you seen this? Yes, actually, I have. And Kansas City does have our own real-life Ghostbuster. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name is uh, Ron. He has appeared at every Comic-Con I've worked. Uh, He and I are, I wouldn't call us good friends, but we get along very nicely. I I haven't had a lot of time to really spend with him. He is a central figurehead at the Zombie Walk for Hunger, uh, which Mm -hmm. I do every year. So I always see him at that. He's got a proton pack that I believe he built himself. Looks 
really legit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he does a lot of charity work, a lot of appearances at children's hospitals and things like that. So, you know, he's awesome. Um, Yeah, again, I can't understand why Ghostbusters resonates with me personally, but I have the first two movies on my Mm -hmm. uh, work computer upstairs. (coughs) Sorry, the air here is so dry. And um, they are some, one of, a couple of my favorite things to put on when I am deep in, I need to work and I need something in the background. Mm-hmm. I love just watching them. I love listening to them. I can quote so many scenes verbatim, you know, just, I adore it. I always have adored Ghostbusters. The first one, especially, oh no, even the second one too. Why am I drippings with goo? I say that frequently. Um, you know, it, it we don't pro- need to hear what you and your wife do. Is um, two of the most quoted movies besides like Clue, I think, uh, that I do as an ongoing bit. What about you, Robert? Um, it, it's always fun to hear what resonated with you as a kid and what you just sort of been <laughs> set offline, just <laughs> the wave hitting you of other people enjoying it and you just can't escape it. Like, where did you land with Ghostbusters? Uh, I, I watched the Saturday morning cartoon a bit when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have stopped. I was in Oregon at the time. Small child. Um, I actually spent more time, I think, with the movies. Like, I, I watched the cartoon as a kid and then it either got canceled or we relocated and I didn't have access to the channel it was on anymore. And uh, I watched the movie when I was, you know, starting to approach 11 ish. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad probably thought it would be funny to show me that. And (laughs) he was correct. It was a lot of fun. Nothing like watch, nothing like showing your child the scene of a ghost, giving a guy, whatever it was she was giving him. Uh, It was, yeah, yeah, but uh, I so I enjoyed that. I mean, there's nothing not to enjoy about the original Ghostbusters. Sure. I'm with you guys. I haven't seen the documentary in question, but I'm mm-hmm. with you in that I Ghostbusters is one of those movies that I struggle. Not just me, apparently. Mm-hmm. Like any number of movies that became big cultural touchstones. Like you can say why. Mm-hmm. Like Star Wars, it's very imaginative relative to other films of the time and it was certainly more optimistic than the general tone of cinema in the 70s sure uh you know, why the lord of the rings franchise became a big thing you know you not only had this book series but you, it, there's any number of the you know, terminator i can tell you why terminator hit right the other one that rule. makes me want to eat a gun spider-man i get why that's popular <laughs> i i loosely intellectually understand why spider-man's popular i right. uh, <laughs> That's as close as that gets. Like Spider-Man's never been my guy. There's been a lot of talk of like the power fantasy among children, and you know, Spider-Man. I think in Ghostbusters and a lot of the stuff I think resonates with kids. If, there, if there's one through um, thread, one through thread with all of these is I think, I, I, I think as a child when you watch a lot of this stuff, you're like, oh, you can kind of project yourself onto those characters. Like, oh, I want to be the hero fighting ghost, or I want to be the teenager who puts on a mask and you know fights crime you know or i want to be out and you know flying through you know space in my spaceship with my talking bear dog you know that sort of thing so on that level i get it um but But this is also why in 2016 not not to beat that dead horse but why i didn't go crazy when they were wanting to do something different with it and paul feig wanted to experiment with a known ip I mean, the, the merits of which have been debated ad nauseum. We don't need to get into that. Right. I, I just didn't lose my shit about it 
because to me it was like okay so why why can't why, why can't we play with the Ghostbusters IP and do fun stuff and interesting stuff with it and see how well it does? And everyone's reaction to it was because you can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, I my reaction to the trailer mm. was negative, not because it was a look when they said we're rebooting the Ghostbusters with an all female cast. I kind of shrugged. Yeah. Like, who cares? <laughs> you get up in arms about this for no re like there's no reason. Right. When we have content to judge, let's judge it. That and in that particular movie, we judged it harshly because it sucked. <laughs> you did. I was more forgiving. You, so... you, you really were, but I, I, for reasons that, I, that still escape me. But I, I think for a large... you know, If there's one actor, this might sound mm -hmm. really weird, but if there's an actor who has an indescribable magic to him, it's Bill Murray. Without question. I... Bill Murray is like 60% jackass, 25% relatable human, 5% endearing, and we always, with his characters, mm -hmm. always remember the 5%. The very and first I Wes Anderson movie, um, Wes Anderson movie I saw was the uh, the Life Aquatic, and I love that movie because of Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> He's great in that. And I think that, and the fact that Bill Murray's charm, like mm -hmm. like whatever his charisma is, defies so much conventional description that yeah. anything he's in that is wild, that is successful in this respect, somewhat defies convention as well. Like I don't know the formula for what makes Bill Murray work. But he's a big part of why. And getting back to the original Ghostbusters, and then we can get into this review. Uh, he's a big part of I think why also people resonated with yeah. um you know, why ghost the original ghostbusters resonates with people because maybe you don't see yourself necessarily as an egon or a ray but who doesn't have a little like bill murray in them you know <laughs> who, do, who doesn't see themselves as a guy just trying to figure out an angle and get through um i think it, not to mention the fact sure. that these are four very average people i right. mean they were not super strong they, they were smart but mm -hmm. well at least two of them were super smart and I think it does do a lot of the whole anyone can be a hero kind of thing. Hi. Yes. Thank you. I want to talk about this before we get into the review, um, into the plot line. So just gear up, Robert, because you're you're up mm -hmm. with the plot next. But I'm not going to lie because because off air, I, I was telling Alexis and Robert that this, the, the conversation surrounding this movie has been a bit exhausting for me. It's It's been rubbing me the wrong way because I think the movie's got some flaws to it. But... Um, I don't know how much appetite there is to hear a conversation about the movie's flaws when everyone was satisfied with this nod to nostalgia and respect for the IP, which I which I understand. It makes it hard for me because I I want to do a deconstruction and I feel like I've been pushed into a corner and kicked yeah. and like, no, no deconstructing. Just you, just wild enthusiasm. That is all we'll okay. accept. Just for the record, you are right now where I was for The Force Awakens. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, that's that's our that's the nature of our relationship over the past decade, Robert. Is you're a lap ahead of me. <laughs> I get there eventually, but I, so you know. I consequently, I am going to refer to this movie as a brand refresher after the train wreck of 2016. This is telling the fans it's okay, come back. Yeah, we 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 can play all the old hits. This is the Ghost Awakens. 
Chinese, <laughs> look, Chinese democracy was a mistake. <laughs> Even Jason, Jason, director Jason Reitman actually thanked Paul Feig. And he actually, mm. and I swear to God, he said, you know, in cop movies, when you have the first cop that busts down the door and he gets riddled with bullets, but then it's <laughs> safe for all the other cops to come right. in. Feig was that cop who got riddled with the bullets. He totally was. So he basically thanked him for getting so horribly massacred. Mm-hmm. over the film that it made it okay for him to come into something else look, look so where, I just, hang on I where i was rather... going where i was going with that preamble was when i saw the trailers for ghostbusters afterlife look i like everybody else i got misty eyed you know i i for whatever forever my own personal reasons are seeing the trailers and they like oh you know in the swelling music and they it, it was one of those things where it, it hit all the right notes for me to where i was like oh i'm most i'm emotionally invested in this what I'm going to end up saying about the movie when we get there is I think my, my why I'm having such a bitter taste in my mouth about it is I think I saw the trailer and I was led to believe one thing. I was really into that one thing. I was like, oh, cool. This is a this is a passing. You know, you use the phrase passing of the torch. This is a passing of the torch movie to a new generation of Ghostbusters. And then it ends the way that it does, which we'll talk about momentarily. And I was like, OK, I get that that's going to make people happy. But I hate this ending. So with that said, and, and, and it took so all that emotion that the trailers e- evoked out of me just dissipated. And I kind of kind of flipped the table over and was like, whatever with this movie, man. And, and then I turn around and everyone's got a gun at me going, nope, that was awesome. <laughs> you say it's awesome or you die rattling. I'm like, oh, uh, all right, you win. <laughs> Have a pizza party. It's fine. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're like th- this. That scene for I'm going to steal your gimmick. Mm-hmm. You're Michael B. Jordan from The Wire. You come in, you walk in, you walk into the apartment room, mm-hmm. into the into that room, and you're like, "Man, I liked most of this movie, but I hate the way the ending screwed everything up." And then you turn around and everyone's pointing a gun and you're like, "Oh, come on." And they're like, "You did this to yourself, man." For the record, no mark on the bingo card because it wasn't Mark who brought up The Wire. And with that, go ahead with the plot synopsis, Robert. All right. Our movie is Set concurrently, 2021, we open with a lot of um, a lot of following around of a stunt double who has to kind of who we are led to believe is Egon, but obviously Harold Ramis has passed. But so the body double did a fairly good job, and the, the open department did good work. For the opening bit, yes, it, I think it was a little bit overdrawn. I think that I lost my patience with the gimmick surrounding it uh, a bit quickly, but. Uh, we follow him as he is operating in Somerville, Oklahoma, and uh, he is doing some Ghostbuster stuff. He tries to set a giant trap. It doesn't work. Uh, he then is attacked and killed by spectral spirits. We then jump to Egon's family, his daughter and her two children. Uh, the children are Phoebe and Trevor. Uh, they're having a rough go of it. They're getting kicked out of their... Uh, they're getting evicted. So in the wake of Egon's passing, they head to Oklahoma to inherit whatever he might have given them and uh, potentially, you know, rebuild their lives with whatever happened... Again, whatever he left for them. And the the biggest laugh this movie got out of me, I have to just recreate it here, when Janine shows up to talk with... Um, Callie. Callie, thank you. Her name kept escaping me. And 
She says, no, no, I was kind of responsible for keeping the lights on around here. Oh, so you were the money manager. No, there wasn't any money. <laughs> so he didn't leave us in. So he left us nothing. I wouldn't say he left you nothing. It was quite a bit of debt. <laughs> and I I was the only, I think it was the only person in my theater who did, but I busted up. Like just the delivery and the beat after that line, I died. Annie Potts was, is still funny. Yes, she is. Oh, that was, that was hilarious. <laughs> Uh, they try to, so these, uh, they try to settle into this very small rural town. They expect, they explore the farm and the associated property. Phoebe makes friends with Paul Rudd. Who is the <laughs> summer school teacher. Who is playing Paul Rudd in this movie. Paul Rudd only ever plays Paul Rudd. Let's not I, kid ourselves. Occasionally he does a character. But him and Ryan Reynolds suffer from the same disease where they are perceived to be very charismatic and in some cases are, in fact, very charismatic. And they can rest quite heavily on those laurels for performances where it's just like, come in and be Paul Rudd. Come in and be Ryan Reynolds. And they do that and they're like, perfect. One take. Go. 2021 sexiest man alive. Look, that particular designation lost all meaning a handful of years ago when they gave it to Seth Rogen. This does not rehabilitate that image going for the so Loki button i, I will say are. this paul rudd definitely seems like he's having an absolute blast making this sure. movie there's a scene where they open up a ghost trap and he actually says something like i've always wanted to do this and i swear to god i actually put my hand up and said me too and it's just like that wasn't acting that was paul rudd saying he's always wanted to play with the ghostbusters toys yeah i'm sure he was very happy when his agent got him this gig uh, almost certainly yes uh, so the the interesting thing going on here is there are earthquakes in this small town that don't make any sense because they have no logical point of origin. Trevor starts awkwardly flirting with another uh, with another teenage girl. Shenanigans are had. The long and the short of it is Egon came out here with all of the equipment that he had because he had tracked the goings-on of Evo Sandor, who you may remember from... Ivo Shandor. Ivo Shandor, fair enough. Who you may remember as the man who built the um, the tower, the the apartment building, apartment building, building yeah. that the, Dan the skys- lived in. Yeah, the skyscraper in the first. I don't know why I was blanking on skyscraper. And apparently, he features rather prominently in at least one of the Ghostbusters video games. And we got a surprise J.K. Simmons cameo out of it. He did. Sadly, did wasted. Did not see that coming. Can I tell man. you how how long we've been doing this and how much you've affected my life? That as soon as I saw J.K. Simmons, I'm like, whatever sins this movie commits, Robert is now forgiven it. No, because you then <laughs> tore him in half after a line of dialogue. <laughs> my my son's reaction to that was hilarious. He was like, that's the most grotesque thing I've ever seen. No, the line was gruesome. That's the most gruesome thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, Has okay, shut up and watch son- the movie. Hasn't your son watched deathmatch wrestling with you? It's when they when the guy got ripped in half. Yeah, I was like, you're talking about um, that scene from Ghostbusters. I am talking about that scene from Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, that was so gruesome. It was gruesome. Yeah. All right. But yeah, it's such a quick cameo. I swear to God, I feel like someone just walked onto the set one day by mistake, and they were like, "Oh, hey, you want to get in makeup for like five minutes?" I, I mean, it's just like. It's cool. I don't think there's anyone here who doesn't like J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons walks on set and they go, hey, J.K., how would you like to be split in half? And he was like, this isn't the this isn't Oz. Hang on. Hang on. Well, it's a bit labored, but I got there. <laughs> first of all, you have the roles reversed. <laughs> I know, but I, I went for it anyway. Keep going. I know, with the plot. I know you. Um, 
second of all, look, J.K. Simmons showed up. They said, hey, do you want to be in Ghostbusters? He went, hell yes. Because who wouldn't? Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, as of the long and the short of it, they tracked uh, Shandor's machinations to this particular location where he had uncovered and partially created a Sumerian temple to Gozer. It's actually interesting. They confirmed that this mine that he has, uh, that, that's named after him that he owned, actually was responsible for the metal that he used to it's make millennium, um, I think they said so, yeah. so, so, something like that to use in uh, the construction of because they mention in the first Ghostbusters you know they talk about the different kind of metal used and what, what's the line I think uh, Vankman says something so they don't make them like they used to and stand right no, no nobody ever made them right like they this. were like there was no reason to use this metal for the construction of skyscrapers this was expressly to build an antenna for uh supernatural uh yeah. phenomena mm-hmm yeah, hundred followed by uh, the great followed by the great Bill Murray going. Oh, somebody's coming! He's coming! Another thing and I quote. Whoa! Uh, and not too long after that, of course, Ernie Hudson. Look, guys, I got to get my own lawyer. My own for this lawyer. One. And two <laughs> seconds later, is like back in again because they're being let out of the cell to talk to the mayor. One of the things yep. I criticized about the first one. But go on. Oh, that's an un- that's an unnecessary criticism of that sequence. Literally changed his mind in a less than half a beat. So oh, we cares? go from staying in unnecessary ja- line. Going from staying in jail to no longer being in jail. The I line think- should have been cut, is my point. Ernie Hudson going, look, guys, I gotta get my own lawyer, only to half a second later be let out of the jail cell. Just cut the stupid line. And speaking okay, of Okay, guys, as much as I know the three of us could just sit here talking the original Ghostbusters for like the rest of the night. I was trying to move him on. Don't move <laughs> we on. We need already. to get back to this right. movie. Uh so as they are here, they oh, are group of plucky adventurers accidentally release one of the I'm going to just go with Zool because I'm just going to take a guess that it was Zool that was released. Uh, Egon had captured the spirit of Zool in one of his traps. They exit, they release it. It then frees the other guard dog. They possess Paul Rudd and Callie. Uh, Gozer is released. What did you guys think about the uh, mini Stave Puff marshmallows in Walmart? I mean, they'll make great Funko Pops. I, I am sh- look. I I'm sure the plushies will sell like gangbusters. Did anyone else catch? I, I'm, I'm seriously ca- curious if you saw this. We get multiple scenes of them kind of torturing each other, and one of mm-hmm. them is walking on a barbecue, and he is literally bursting into flames and melting. Right. And, and as he it- goes down, he gives a thumbs up. Since you brought it up now, let me just say this. I'm of two minds. One, like passively, it was amusing. Why wouldn't it be? But if you think about it for half a second, and this got brought off on half in the bag, and it's 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 entirely an accurate point. It's a garbage scene. The whole Walmart sequence is nonsense. So there are super until the dog shows up. There are supernatural phenomena happening in the Walmart, but only the marshmallows got possessed. Like, we don't see toasters and blenders running around and clothing strangling people. Like, people commented about, like, oh, there's nobody in the Walmart. You know, I mean, because it was a set. We get it. But And I can forgive it being an empty Walmart. I have been to many a Walmart in the middle of the night in Florida. Sometimes they're empty. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes there's a lot of people there. Uh, I I, I was going to say, Walmart's in a small town middle of the night. I used to work at a Walmart in a small town, and I often work the overnight shift. Yeah. Yeah. that's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah, I can live with the really? Walmart being empty. What I can't live with is the ghost only decided because because of the Stay Puft Marshmallow thing and because of nostalgia, blah, blah, yakety-schmackety, we only do the thing with the marshmallows. And it was like, 
this was this this was my big complaint about the movie is that it it was one of those things where it just never knew when to stop. You know, it, it, it there there was no self editing in this movie. It was like let's give into every single impulse. And here's the thing: shut up, Rattledge, because it works for everybody else on Earth. I I can't help but have a problem with it though, Rob. So the dogs again. They have possessed uh, the keymaster and the gatekeeper have now possessed their hosts. They're able to summon Gozer. Our uh, our plucky band of underdogs liberate the Ecto One and their equipment from the police impound. Because now that Gozer showed up, ghosts are running wild and bad things are happening. Kind of wish we had seen more of that. I think we only got what like what two, maybe three ghosts attacking people in somerville and one was just a zombie yeah, yeah. I, it's almost a it's almost a recreation of exactly how new york goes in the first one I, i've got right down to the cab driver and the in the diner doing the same bit where where the person turns and you get a close-up shot and it's a, it's zombie face yeah I, i've got issues with that sequence but i'll get to them in a second uh, they've, they also discovered what Egon was trying to do. He was trying to lure Gozer into a large sequence of traps because Gozer is not apparently Gozer as we knew the entity. It's a, an amalgamation of all the dead spirits that inhabit the underworld. And if you can trap enough of them into separate uh, ghost traps, Gozer will no longer be a problem. So they go tell bad jokes to Gozer to, Gozer to induce violence. Uh... Lure Gozer into the trap. The trap doesn't work initially because, of course, it doesn't. The original Ghostbusters show up. Uh, the whole audience cheers. I assume so. Everyone cheered uh, when I saw it. You are correct. Every, almost everyone cheered. I hit myself with a hammer. Uh, <laughs> I was one of I was one of four people in the theater this morning. No one cheered, but small enough sample size, I will accept it being an outlier. We do get some really nice callbacks. You get Gozer asking Ray, "Are you a god?" And he pauses, <laughs> and Venkman and uh, Winston just look at him and go, "Come on, Ray." <laughs> I was that, legitimately that was amused. By, yeah, I was, was legitimately funny. amused by that. I really was half waiting for him to say no again. <laughs> just, just not gonna Winston, lie. Winston just cold cocks him right in the face. Yeah, like he's, no. he, he says he says no. And Gozer doesn't even do the then die bit. Winston uh, like Eddie Murphy and Ernie Hudson both dogpile him. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can you be this stupid, right? Uh, that's that's certainly one take. All right, finish up. Um, through the combined machinations of all of our collected heroes, they're eventually able to power the to throw enough power into the thing, into this trap. Uh, the ghost of Egon shows up. Uh, they're able to deal with Gozer once and for all. Everyone gets a final goodbye to Harold Ramis. He flies off into the, the audience is crying their eyes out. A significant portion of them, yes. I was. I. I guys. I cried. No, I was. I was Here's the thing. I was with you when I saw the far Harold thing. Mm -hmm. I teared up. I, you know, it got, it got to me. And if the movie had stopped there, perfect. I really less complaining from me. The fact that it goes on for another 10 minutes is where, is where I'm going to do some complaining, but go well, ahead. Robert. Technically the movie does. And we just have two post credit scenes. I thought there was more to it than that after the fact, but okay. Uh, it says for Harold, and then we see Ecto-1 driving into New York, and then the classic Ghostbusters theme starts, and we get the credits. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, uh, yeah, there was that. As as for the mid and then post credit in the mid credit sequence, which I almost walked away from, not because <laughs> I like they're going through the credits. And they get to the end featuring, and they come up with Sigourney Weaver's name last. And I went, did they use archival footage or something? I paused. I said, yeah, exactly. And then and they like, wait a minute. Yeah. And they cut to her and uh, Bill Murray recreating his famous uh, electroshock experiment. Yeah, the, the, the ESP beginning. cards scene. Which, mm. uh, that, that isolated sequence, again, might have been the most amusing thing this, amusing scene this entire movie did. Like, I... I that genuinely amused me. And then all the women of the 80s walked in, and Linda Hamilton hit him with the butt of her gun, and then, <laughs> and it just went on and on. Bill, Bill Murray got beaten up by all the women heroes of the 80s. I actually thought they were going to go a different way with it, because the joke is that he can tell what all the cards are. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dana asks him, you marked the cards, didn't you? I could have sworn I saw someone moving behind Dana and I thought it was going to reveal like a grown up Oscar or something was signaling <laughs> to Vankman what the cards were or something. Cause I'm assuming if they're still together, that he was worked if he had still had like the big Afro. <laughs> 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 All right. And then, yeah, okay. I didn't actually, I, I had to pee. I, I didn't see the very last scene, but something about Winston well, the, being a billionaire or something like that. It's mentioned by Ray when they call him earlier that mm-hmm. uh, Winston went into finance and became quite wealthy. Mm-hmm. So he in New York has uh, he has completely restored the Ecto One mm-hmm. to the crappy condition when Ray bought it when it needed new shocks, struts, suspension alignment, transmission, tires. <laughs> Only forty eight hundred. <laughs> More than my crappy used car that I the first bought. All right. uh, anyway, worth, hang on. I, I hate to say it, it is actually also worth no- noting. Um, those who are huge fans of Ghostbusters know that there was a deleted scene from the first movie. Uh, before they go up to fight Gozer, um, Janine get. We all know Janine's been hitting on Egon mm-hmm. throughout the whole the first movie. She gives him a lucky coin, mm-hmm. and he says, "The effect of I shouldn't take this. I don't think we're coming back." And she says, "I've got another one. Keep it." And they have a really sweet hug. And yeah, the movie that scene was cut. Mm-hmm. And but they show that scene, and then they show Janine. She's the one talking to Winston about his finances, and she's holding her lucky coin. That's cool. And so yeah, and the, yeah, they talk about it, and, and um, it's revealed that Winston has been paying the rent on Ray's occult bookstore for yeah, years he, now. He's support. Yeah, he's been doing that. He buys and restores the old firehouse. He's essentially um, helping out uh, the Spangler family now. Right. And our big stinger is there's a warning light blinking above the ecto containment unit in the firehouse. All right, Alexis, go ahead. <laughs> Speak for the masses. Yes, I genuinely loved this movie. Uh, again, it really is the perfect love letter to the fans. There were so many callbacks, so many little Easter eggs. I thought they did a really good job of not making the Easter eggs bludgeoned over your head. A lot of movies do that too much where it's like, get it, get it, get it. Um, For example, there's a scene where Phoebe is exploring the basement, which we find out was where Egon's uh, kind of had his main office. And she opens a closet and on the floor of the closet is a collection of spores, mold and fungus. Which those who have watched the movie more times than they've seen the sun. Egon, your mucus. I no, remember it's like no, do you have yeah, any hobbies. 
I collect yes, spores, spores mold, mold, and fungus. fungus right. And that, again, it's like, that's not a huge thing, you know, but I loved it. You, you get a scene where they open the glove compartment looking for the registration in the Act 1. There's a Twinkie in there. The whole That's a big Twinkie. Again, it's like, it doesn't bludgeon you. And there's more than a few scenes even before the I, ending. I got that, a serious kick out of the, the book stack. In, yes! In, because th that's a callback to the library from the, <laughs> when they walk right. up and they find all the books. The stuff. half in the bad guys mentioned the, the, the Nestle Crunch thing. Look, I don't want to fight about this, but I'm telling you all those things you just said caused me to roll my eyes a lot. Like the Nestle Crunch thing, the Twinkie. The Twinkie is such a... I don't want to talk too much about the first movie. The Twinkie is just a throwaway thing. And all he's trying to do is illustrate the amount of collected paranormal energy gathering in New York. But then he and, eats the Twinkie, so it's then, his Twinkie. I, yes, because people eat Twinkies. I don't eat <laughs> like, Twinkies. I don't like Twinkies. Like the the assertion that we have to have a Twinkie in this movie because remember when Han Solo had the gut? Oh wait, wrong movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's my problem with this. I don't want to cut you off. I want you to have your say. But so much of this was we need the origin of Han Solo's vest. We need the origin the origin of Black Widow's vest. We need the origin of Han Solo's gun. Fucking, we don't need. To, to, to assert that Egon loved Twinkies. He had a Twinkie in a scene to illustrate a point, period. But the assertion that it had to be there because, boy, doesn't he love Twinkies because it's in the movie, that made me in particular, Mark Rattle, to a you know, majority of one, as my father would say, roll my eyes hard. Same thing with the Nestle Crunch thing where like Bill Murray says, you did good, Egon. You've earned this. And he hands him the Nestle Crunch and he's just messing with them. And it's like, Really? He had an uh, he had a half-eaten Nestle's Crunch Bar in his pocket this whole time. Come on, man! I just always assume Egon had a sugar addiction. Sure. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously. That I I mean, it's never been confirmed, never been discussed. But mm -hmm. that's kind of just what I picked up on in the movies right. was that Egon was a sugar addict. It's but you know, but again, it's like I feel like they didn't hit it over the head. Um, I thought all the actors did really good. McKenna Grace, who plays uh, Phoebe really stole the show and guys yeah i mean i know that we have our problems you guys have some problems with this movie but can we at least agree as far as child actors go this kid was phenomenal oh mechanic grace is the best part of yeah. the movie yeah she was amazing she carries majority of this on her shoulders not that finn wolfhard mm -hmm. doesn't do a good job he does but he is not used as much as she is this is her movie she yep. is the main focus and she does so well uh, she's got a friend named Podcast, who I swear to God was taken from some it, someone's weird poten weird potential remake of no, the Coonies, and I mean that in the best way possible. No, no, that's what I was gonna say. Like they basically took the character from the Goonies and you know, and, and just re uh, and just gave him a modern gimmick. What was yeah. the, What was his name in the Goonies? What's the kid's name? Remember? Tech tech something oh my god i have wikipedia open right here hang on um but yeah he was basically that kid from the goonies hang on it was the same kid from temple of doom right yes yeah data data that's it i knew it was like like widget or data or yeah something like i also i just have to ask you wearing you might as well be wearing a shirt that says RIP ROH. You know that, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. As long as, long as we're clear on that. Well, I thought I'd, you know, pay homage to my favorite scary movie. This movie actually did have some decent uh scares. Uh I mean, again, they're jump okay. scares, but I've often said 
a, a well done jump scare can still be scary. Mm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're all in agreement. Horror directors overuse jump scares and really especially don't do them. La- especially the lazy ones. Oh God, yeah. But well, a well done jump scare the- will still get you. Will still, you know, cause you to give you a good reaction. And there were some good scares in this. There really oh. were. Uh, the CGI was great. Um, I loved uh, the Muncher ghost was pretty uh, interesting. I thought it was, mm-hmm. I was worried at first because we don't get a good look at the go- the Muncher ghost in the trailers, but we see them chasing a blob-like creature. And I was like, please tell me they didn't bring back a Slimer. Why, wait, why, why not? Like, I'm glad they didn't. I felt but... that that, yeah, because I thought that was going to be way too heavy fisting of a, co- of a callback. Okay. Um, yeah, probably the wrong words there, but I no, no, no. I'm okay with whatever word you're going to use there. It's like there's a list of things from the first two movies we're going to reference, but we're going to leave out Slimer because that's a bridge too far. Like I, I <laughs> I'm just not a huge fan of doing things like. See, I actually didn't mind the Slimer cameo in 2016 because of what mm-hmm. they did with him. The fact that right. he stole Ecto One and he went on a bender. That's hilarious. That scene, in my, well, my opinion, it's also kind of funny because mm-hmm. they always joked that Slimer was supposed to be the ghost of Jim Belushi or John Belushi. Mm-hmm. That was always the joke. Right. So when you see what he, Slimer does in the 2016 movie, it's like. Yeah, if that's John Belushi's ghost, that is undoubtedly they, they what just he needed made. the da, 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 from the Blues Brothers. Music. Yeah, I was gonna say they, they recreated the ending of the Blues Brothers. Is all they did there. <laughs> Still, his camera made me laugh. So, but I'm glad that they went with a different ghost, and they actually gave him some personality. Really liked Paul Rudd. Again, he's not doing a heavy amount of acting here, but he is loving every second he's on screen, and he is loving this movie. And we've talked before about how when you watch a movie and you have an actor who is just clearly having the time of their life, even Mm -hmm. if this is the worst movie possible, when you have them on screen, there is something there to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And you get that with Rudd's character. He's a lot of fun. Um, Really did enjoy seeing him in there. And yeah, I, I bawled. Mm. at the end uh props to the uh cgi again on uh, the ghost of harold ramus yeah that that was really good work it was it really looked good i mean i hate to say but that's just something i was watching and all i could think was ramus is looking down on us right now on this movie and he's and he's smiling big step, really up, from, big step up from rogue one. Oh yeah all right um i really only have three things i want to talk about one the movie works for me about two thirds, um, and the two, the the two parts of it that work are the stuff having to deal with the family. I liked the mom character struggling with why did dad leave me, and then her being able to reconcile with the ghost of Egon <coughs> at the end. Can I just say her that line worked for me when when she's talking with Phoebe mm-hmm. and Phoebe's like he wasn't nuts. Well, then he was an asshole. Yeah, that was great. Like, that was. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't feel bit. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel forced. You understand it doesn't come across one of those I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear right. it. I'm too locked in my hate. No, she really did think her father abandoned her and right. she's gone through a very rough life. So this movie needed to be more than than just a trip down memory lane of the Ghostbusters IP. It needed to be about something. And so reconciling with one's father is something that well, my father you know, didn't abandon our family or anything, but like the the idea of it, it was something that resonated with me. And I like 
a well, movie Jake, where where family reconciles and they get past their differences and misunderstandings or whatnot. Go ahead, Robert. I was going to say, Jason Reitman took a lot of his relationship with his father, Ivan, and mm -hmm. put that into this script. So that's where a lot of that comes from. And it works. It's it's one of the things that elevates the script from just, you know, you know, funny action adventure story. Um, the second thing was when it was about the kids, you know, it, it was about Phoebe trying to figure out her place in the world and realizing that she's legacy and, you know, embracing that legacy and it rubbing it up against the mother's acrimony with, you know, the belief that her father abandoned her. That all was great grist for the mill. That was all good emotional drama. Um, and that's where that's the stuff that made me enjoy the movie. Phoebe as a character, I really, really liked. I like the fact that she's a sort of, you know, wallflower, you know, somebody who's like really, really bright, um, but doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the world, doesn't quite know how to put one foot in front of the other. And then she sort of falls into this legacy of the Ghostbusters and she finds her bravery and she finds her, uh, her she finds her courage um, and all of that. And she, she finds an identity for herself. You know, there was a comment in one of the other critics that I mentioned before that like, she doesn't really have an arc. And I'm like, but she does, that is the arc. That's Yeah, great. that's, mm -hmm. she, well, it's like, like uh, this might be quibbling over semantics, but. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have a, an arc so she much. Growth. She She develops as a character. Right. She's different and, than she's different at the end than she was at the beginning. That's good screenwriting. I don't know. You know yeah. like, what else you want? Um, Finn Wolfhard. A few, a few less dad jokes would have been nice. Just throwing <laughs> it out there. Uh, well, some of us like uh, dead dad, dad jokes. What can one tell you? You um, know what? I'll admit a couple of those dad jokes actually did get a chuckle out of me. It was like they're, I don't think they're like funny, funny. They're cute, funny. I was like, Finn Wolf, oh, that's adorable. Finn Wolfhard, I think, did a really great job. Um, again, th there was other comments about him, like, not really having anything to do. He got to, you know, you talked about them not hitting you over the head. I like the fact that he, it, it is, they show you the scene of him fixing the car as they're driving out to Oklahoma. They're showing him, you know, as a proper teenager trying to break away from his family and do his own thing. Um, he finds himself in the garage fixing a car. And, and and it's it's implied. It's you know it's Spider Man. Why do I need a car? Because I want to date a hot girl. That's why. And how, you know how else do you get a girl but to have a hot but to have a car? Like I didn't need that explained. Like some people were were really struggling with it. I'm like no no no. It was horny boy wants car to pick up girl. It's all there in the subtext. It's fine. Well, he's like, yeah. He, look, there's not also... much. To, say there's not much to do in Somerville, and he's no apparently knows how to fix cars. So it's right. like, well, it's, I can either stare at the wall or I can fix this car. Right. So they, they show they they give information about him being a bit of a gearhead along the way. You know, again, he's mm -hmm. the one fixing the car, not the mom when they're on the way out there. He's constantly wearing like muscle car T-shirts. Right. Uh, it's, that's clearly a passion of his, and they. Again, there's not a big scene where he talks about how important it is to him, right. but it is it is pretty consistently there in his character that this is something he cares a great like this one is something the, he's interested in. One of the great in the writing, you know, um, not not the stuff that you were talking about, Alexis, but a lot, there's a lot of subtext in the writing. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of characterization that they're not hitting you over the head with. It's not a big Broadway dance to let you know he can fix cars and she's smart. It's all just there, and you just have to be paying attention and be open to it. It's a little well, frustrating to hear some of these people criticizing the movie, and that's what they're they're glomming onto. My my problem. So all of that stuff works for me, and them figuring out the mystery of Ivor uh, Ivor Shandor and uh, the mine, and figuring out the equipment. Uh, some of it got a little, you know, 
Ray from Star Wars. He instantly knew how to use the thing. And, you know, we, we are forgetting the rules of how the equipment works. Um, but it was like, I, I don't want to get caught up in that kind of, you know, comic book guy minutia. Um, um, so, I, 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 so what did you guys think about her communicating with Egon's ghost and, oh, I love him, that. Showing, and him showing her how to fix I'm everything? Actually, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I thought that was a really nice way to do that is we've acknowledged that there are ghosts in this world. That, you know, the half and the bad guys brought that up. So they just played with that idea. And so he's there guiding her and they're bonding and family bonding with ghost or otherwise is great. It was great to watch. Um, and when, a, the mom, when the mom goes was, in the basement and they go through the same thing, I like that too. Go ahead, Robert. I was gonna say, I think that's that was a clever bit of writing because, look, let's face it, twelve-year-olds aren't that smart. <laughs> like, e even even if you're gonna try and do the fairly traditional, autistic but not autistic, ergo genius, mm -hmm. which rubs me the wrong way for a variety of reasons as a general trope it's more it's done more or less well Listen, here as long as you don't get to the last predator movie level where autism is a superpower yeah. it's fine I, yeah I, so i'm willing to go along with that mm -hmm. if she had just picked this stuff up right like oh clearly this does like no you're gonna blow yourself up and probably most of the state <laughs> given what these idiots were playing around with right so him being there even in ghost form to be like okay nope Please don't cross the streams. Right. And they did some cute things with it. Like when she was like, how did you build all this stuff? And he immediately points, points on all the degrees on the walls. Yeah. Like, I get it. You're a genius. Um, <laughs> so right. This is both a good and a bad thing I'm going to bring up next. The best scene in the movie for me in terms of action, because this is a bit of a slow crawl to get to where anything is happening. But when they get the Ecto-1 running and they're chasing Muncher around the main street, it's the best action scene of the movie. It's the it's the it's the best non-emotional scene of the movie. It's awesome. It was also all in the trailer. Like, yeah, if we, I think if you want it, look, we don't, you by, for your number of reasons, we don't do a lot of trailer reactions and whatnot right. here. Um, there's an art to making a good movie trailer. Malignant. We talked about that, how they kept all the good stuff out of the trailer. Um, I would argue Tenet. Mm -hmm. I did a really good job of, you know, giving you hints about uh, like again breadcrumbs that intrigue you but don't give anything away right they gave literally the entire centerpiece this, of this movie in the trailer the trailers for this movie gave away the following and it's somewhat made for a more trouble uh dragging viewing experience depending yeah. on where we are in the timeline they gave away that these are egon's kids which don't get me wrong any half bit like <laughs> Okay, they're not, the one... they're not Bill Murray's kids, and they're definitely we, not Winston Zetamore's kids. It's pretty freaking obvious. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm, for God's sake, Phoebe wears the exact same shape glasses right. that I, Egon. I, does. I, I'm not. I, there's a degree to which you know you can't be you, you can't be disingenuous about oh who, big mystery like no there's no <laughs> mystery. By the same token, if you're going to structure a giant portion of this film around that quote unquote mystery. Right. And the big revelation is, why didn't you tell us we were related to Egon Spengler? Yeah, like, that, okay, that scene fell flat. You, you've, we've crossed the Rubicon here. Like, you've gone too far in this particular, right. it, with what you're doing here. So that fell flat. They gave away that chase. Like, I think because of the way they structured the trailer, the big shock was, 
oh, all of the ghost, the original cast shows up at the end, except we already knew they were all going to be there because you put it in every press release that you did for this thing. Right. Like you, you utterly removed any ability of this movie to surprise us in any capacity. Right. And it made for a boring viewing experience for, throughout your two hour runtime. There's, so, there's parts that aren't, but right. like this movie drags in places and it's a real problem. So on the one hand, I really enjoyed the sequence. On the other hand, it was, it's, I thought they would do more. And I, I had this complaint about the original ghost. If you'll indulge me for a moment, I said they do the one ghost capture sequence with Slimer in the hotel, and then it's a montage, and you don't ever actually see them capture another ghost for the entirety of the film. It's just them walking out with a trap. It's a montage of exiting an area with a trap. Budget which, cuts. Is a, which is whatever the reasons were, which I'm, I'm it is what it is, but it was a little frustrating upon analysis of the film. And here, you don't even get that. You get the one sequence of them capturing Muncher, and then they never bust another ghost for the entirety of this film. It's really super frustrating. Did they um, even let him out? Like... <laughs> Did they actually really like? We we arrested the one guy. Well, now we got to let him out. Yeah. Um. I I, yeah, I actually did like the idea that the podcast lets him out so they can get through the metal bars to get it, the ghost. Like that's creative. Clever problem solving. But again, when you use up your centerpiece in the trailer and then you don't do anything else with it, and you and these kids don't do, do get to do any other ghost busting, it's it was a missed opportunity, I think, in the narrative. Here's where the movie goes off the deep end for me. Look, I am not entertaining an argument at this point in my life with the people who saw the original Ghostbusters show up at the end and squeed and celebrated and threw their pants in the air. I'm happy for you. I'm glad this brought you joy in your life. I hated it. And here's why. Um, one, I don't need to be validated in that kind of way. I don't need it to service me in that kind of way. I, I just don't have that kind of connection to this movie where that's something that's valuable to me, Mark Rattledge personally. But I know it does for everybody else. Fine, whatever. My problem is it undermines the narrative. This is about Phoebe and her brother accepting the mantle of this legacy. And there's a the degree to which I can allow something like that is they all get knocked on the wrist, everything's going to pieces, the heroes are failing. But there, but you know, but Phoebe stands up and she gives it one more go, and there's the ghost of her grandfather helping her hold the stick to fix the, 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 the to slay the dragon and fix the problem and resolve the issue. Stop there. That's perfect. That sums up this whole movie. That reconciles this whole movie. That resolves everything in a nice little bow for you. It was a beautiful image. Egon standing, Phoebe holding the stick, the, uh, the proton accelerator, and doing a thing was great. And then cut to Finn Wolfhard. He shoots the thing. The traps open. Lobster. Done. That was all you needed. The bit with Ray and Bill and um, Ernie Hudson. I know I just mixed up names and characters, but um, all showing up at the end. I un And I know that they don't fix it either. They there, they fail too. And now it's a group effort. Everyone has to join in. And it's like, no, no, no. Can't you just let the kids have their own movie, please? Like, and then, you know, to your point earlier, Alexis, where, you know, they go to the for, for Harold thing. And it's like, that's great. That's beautiful. That made me cry too. And then, and I, and I think it's why I thought it was longer than it was, was I had read in reading what the two posts scenes were, I had read, oh, they gave him back all the equipment and they all went back to New York to go resume being Ghostbusters. And I'm like, wait, so we're done with Phoebe and her brother? That's it? 
we're gonna the next movie is the old is the old men still I'm like what are we doing here i you told me this whole story about these kids and now i think it feels like you're telling me their story is done let's go back to what everybody wants the three old men being ghostbusters and it's like then why did we even do this just bring back the old men do Ghostbusters do the video game? Do Ghostbusters go to hell? You know, and it's 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 the three old men doing it. Why even have the kids in this? It just it when your whole movie is about those kids, and then in the, and then in your your um your final sequence, it didn't feel like it was about them anymore by virtue of these people showing up. To me, it undermined the whole thing, and now I feel like I've wasted two hours of my life. So that is my major problem with it. I don't feel like as a structural narrative, it holds firm at the very end. I think that is the biggest example of a problem that is peppered throughout this movie where it lacks in self-editing and it far too often goes off a cliff being self-referential. Go ahead, Robert. Um, I'm going to disagree with you slightly in the following way. Okay. I always enjoy this part. Okay, hang on. I don't... Them showing up at the end didn't bother me. Um, mm -hmm. In the way that you're referencing, like it, it's still the kids that solve the problem. It's like I, I get. Let me be clear. I get your objection to this. Mm -hmm. I think my um, first of all, uh, Ray's litany of the list of people they're representing this time around on behalf of. <laughs> in uh, and of in, the nugget in and of itself was amusing. It was yet another example of the problem I'm having, though. It's like I can I can recognize something as funny and laugh naturally, but at the minute I have to think about it in any kind of way, I'm like, God damn it, no, 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 no. Oh, hang on, my Bad issue. Movie. With, <laughs> my issue with the ending of this movie is not that they showed up or that they stole some glory from our young plucky uh, adventurers. Just say it. Sure. Our young plucky adventurers. Mm -hmm. It's like you've already said it three times. I think so I have, just actually. Stick yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, we'll stick with it. So the, the Ghostbusters that are coming up in the world, the future generation, um, I don't, mostly because I didn't see them as stealing a tremendous amount of thunder from them, but individual mileage will vary. My issue with the finale of this movie is that it finally, this movie finally did a couple of the things that I was really hoping it wouldn't. It's it goes way too hard with uh, a retread of what came before. Mm -hmm. Now right under the imagery, yeah. Now some of, now, I'm more forgiving of it here than I was with the Force Awakens for a fairly specific reason. The Force Awakens had no original thought in its entire stupid head. <laughs> this movie demonstrated that there's at least two thirds of it that is willing to build appropriately on what came before without having, without doing nothing but beat for beat remakes. The first two thirds of this movie are not a beat for beat remake of the first two thirds of the original Ghostbusters movie. Right. And sadly at the end, it just falls into endless, uh, endless retreads of what came before. And in the interest of potentially uh, instead of simply standing here denigrating, I'll give you a way to make this better. Or at least a different way to go about it. Um, you want to reference Gozer and, you know, Zool and the, you know, the Keymaster of the Gatekeeper, fine. You can reference them. 
I don't need Gozer to be the big bad of this movie. I think that's a bridge too far when it comes to this. Here's a again. Here's a here's a slightly different avenue we can. What take. if what if Gozer was like Dodge and was walking around town raising zombies? Now, uh, here's what I would do. Mm-hmm. This is the portal to the underworld is still there, but our big bad for this is Evo Sandor. Have mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons let him be. Let him choose some scenery there. <laughs> Like, what happens at the end is not so much that the portal gets open, but that, like, when they first go down there, oh, portal to hell. This is causing the earthquakes. Stupid kid knocks over his um, isolation chamber, and now he's back, and he's alive, and he's the problem. Mm -hmm. Let them deal with him. You let J.K. Simmons do what J.K. Simmons does. You let the kids deal with something other than a straight retread. And I think you can probably finagle a better finale out of this. You can even have the other three still show up. Like mm-hmm. there's no, uh, there's no reason that they can't. You just don't, we just don't need. I don't think we need Gozer for this. And I think that that's when it just became a little bit too much for my personal sensibilities as far as uh, Here, here's where I'll agree callbacks. with you. If you're going to do re- something that references the first film, pick Althing, not everything. Don't do the entire third act, characters included, because then why not just have Rick Moranis show up and do so, and have some, you know, have him get locked out of an apartment and do someone's taxes. I like, it, it, it never ends. There comes a I point was, where you just never stop. I was waiting for Rick Moranis to be the kid's father. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Oh God, I think this is going to cement Robert's hate for this movie. But I was just going over the IMDb page. Um. Muncher was voiced by Josh Gad. I assume he did the motion capture as well. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute now. Hang on. (laughs) Look, also, also there's a look, there's a bunch of actors whose work I don't enjoy Mm -hmm. physically, but who I enjoy their voice work. Gad's not a bad voice actor. I I feel the same way about Will Arnett. Like, Will Arnett's voice acting is amazing. Put him on screen. I want to kick his face in. What else about this movie did you like, didn't like, work for you, didn't work for you? Uh, I largely agree with everything else that you guys meant. Oh, there's one other scene. During the finale, mm-hmm. um, there's a very badly edited sequence when Gozer first shows up. Gozer shows up, and she tears J.K. Simmons in half, and then there's a scene with the street splitting in the town, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of, like, flash dance cuts as she walks, as Gozer walks around the chair, and there, it's it's just horribly edited. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to do a callback to the big, you know, release of spiritual energies that we got in the first one, you don't have a bad setup here with the portal to hell opening up. Like, okay, I'm down with this. But you needed a much better sequence. Mm-hmm. And you needed to have everything be edited together in a much clearer fashion. It doesn't help that there's a there's a reason the original movie has that sequence before Gozer shows up. So that way we're not that way there's not confusion about what the threat is at that particular moment in time. All the ghosts show up, they start wreaking havoc. This is what lets the Ghostbusters out of the pen. Then Gozer shows up, then finale. Yeah. There's a sequence to that for a reason. Uh, layering them on top of each other like this again was a bit confusing structurally and in terms of, again, just film craft and how they edited that sequence together was not great. I want to, I, I debated 
whether or not I was even going to bring this up. Um, but we've been having a nice discussion. Alexis, you've been very respectful, you know, and been a respectful part of the conversation, which I appreciate. Um, I, I think my struggle and what I want to say out loud, because I have certain people um, that we talk with that are on these podcasts in the back of my head. I've seen, you know, conversations had on Twitter, and I think that's been sort of informing my mood about this. But I will I, I, look, there's people listen to this podcast. They're always like, but did you like it? I was entertained by it. God, who wouldn't be? You know, <laughs> this was a very entertaining movie um, for the most part. I don't think it's a particularly well-made movie, objectively speaking. I, th you know, we just went through a litany of problems this thing has. When you have that many problems, you at some point need to acknowledge, okay, then this isn't that well-made of a movie. There are problems here. This could have been better. This could have made another path through script writing, another path through editing. Um but just because something is bad doesn't mean I didn't like it. And just because something is good doesn't mean I did like it. And then I didn't think that should follow for anybody. But too often, I think something like this, because it resonates so positively because of the warm vibes it gives off, because the IP was serviced so well, the nostalgia was serviced so well, that everyone gets caught up into, but, it, you know, I liked it and it was good. And it's like, I don't want to, I just don't, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge people feel that way, but this is film deconstruction um which is not something that everybody likes or enjoys or can even do and i acknowledge that but i want people to hear me when i say i'm not saying you can't enjoy this movie you absolutely can you should enjoy this movie if it makes you feel happy if you cry if you cried happy tears at the end shit, i did you know if you cried happy tears at the end of this thing good glad i'm glad look i'm glad that there's a shot at at, at this ip being rehabilitated so it makes more movies to make more people happy Sony is in the business of making money to sell movie tickets. I mean, <laughs> not, you know, is there room in this world for hierarchy? Sure. You could have seen Belfast over the past two weeks. You could have seen any number of um, Neon or A24 or Focus Feature Pictures that have been released in the past month. High art's out there. You just got to go. It's, it's there for you to find or watch on Pivot at home. Or you yeah. could have been me, and before you watched this movie, you watched Black Friday with Bruce Campbell and Devin Sauer, and going from those, from one of those to the other was an interesting experience. <laughs> I'm watching cultural, that tonight. As I say, cultural uh, whiplash, huh? Um, A little bit. Case, I, just... I actually have to see that movie twice, because i got to see it tonight for our review tomorrow, and, and I have a friend who has begged me to go see mm -hmm. it with him on Black Friday. Yeah, I'm going to watch it tomorrow morning. All, all I'm trying to say is just don't don't misunderstand where i think collectively we're coming from with this there's criticism but that doesn't mean you know that but that, that you should not feel invalidated in your feelings because we pointed out some problems with the film and that often i think becomes the discussion if i point at a thing and said there's a if i point at a car and say the tire is flat i'm not saying you you're a bad person because you like lamborghinis like they're not the same. It's it's a total. It's two different conversations. Robert, you look like you're chomping at the bit here to say something. No, no. Okay, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm agreeing with you. Like uh, once again, uh, you mentioned you know that the history of our relationship is me being you know about uh, ahead of the curve and you catching up at some point. <laughs> like you're doing my shtick now, and it, it amuses me. All right. Um, I think we're all satisfied. Then, is anything else left left to say, Alexis? You're right. Mark, I mean, it, 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 there's nothing about this film that if you, everything you guys pointed out you didn't like, I get it. 
you know, you I, I didn't feel the need to go, oh, you guys just don't get it or something. And mm-hmm. there are movies that we reviewed where we admitted they're bad, but there's nothing really inherently wrong with them. So if this is your cup of tea, you'll enjoy it. And there's ones like, you know, Black Widow, where we all said, why the hell does this exist? Please stop <laughs> giving them. Please do not buy tickets to see this. Um, <laughs> so if you, yeah, it's like, I, I think, yeah, if you're a huge Ghostbusters fan and you want to enjoy this love letter to the fans, you will. I agree. There are some things that are wrong with it. The pacing, I'll, I will even admit, is a little off, but I think that's just because that's Jason Reitman's style. If you've seen mm. more of his films, yeah. he does have a much slower pace uh, than Ivan Reitman ever did. I think he's more so, of like the indie movie guy than Jay, he is like the big yeah. feature guy, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I did. Thank you for smoking and Juno, a mm. couple of others. I Juno? I yeah, love Juno. Juno's great. You directed it, Juno. Thank you for smoking is like my one of my favorite satires of all time. I love oh, it, that it's movie. phenomenal. It's, it's a it great is movie. A phenomenal movie. Aaron, all right. Aaron, Aaron Eckhart was sadly overlooked for his role in that. Like he's one of the only people who could pull off that role that well. Right. Now but, I feel like I, I now I feel like I can sleep tonight instead of <laughs> instead of grousing all day like I was. Like I said, I personally adored this film. I will happily watch it again. And I Hey, you know, one thing we need to talk about real quick before we get into the money, and that is the music. They used, you know, Ray Parker at the end, but I tell you, not a lot of music stood out to me in this. Some some, oh, mood, some okay. mood music here and there, but um, I don't know. You, you the fi- the As... song over the final credits was performed by McKenna Grace, the, the Haunted House song. Oh, yeah, that's good. But again, it comes over the credits. As, as the guy here who pays a lot of attention to film score. Mm-hmm. The sheer number of moments where they just lifted wholesale from the original film <laughs> to put into this, uh, there was a lot of it. And yeah. sometimes sometimes it worked. Sometimes, mm-hmm. Like the first time we get a profile of, you know, Gozer and the other dogs. Yeah. Now that you we, mentioned and, it, you're right. The use of the theremin mixed yeah. in with modern music as the... I mean, even the opening titles with the producer credits, they're using... Mm-hmm. It's not identical to the music from the first movie, but it feels like it's the exact. It feels like the same music being performed by a new orchestra with updated instruments. Yeah, they so they wanted, lifted a lot. They from did, that. The, 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 which is fun. Which I was I, like, I which was. I don't, I'm okay with it because I love the original Ghostbusters. Right. Like again, set aside the 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 song. That is one of the better film scores that came out of the 80s. Like, it's yeah, genuinely I was really on wonderful. That, where it was score. like, on the one hand, it was cool to hear it again. On the other hand, it's like, God damn it. If this was this is just the laundry list of, the, you know, I think the half of the guy, bad guys were like, remember, like doing the Chris Farley thing from Saturday Night Live. Remember when you were in this? Remember the film score? Remember the stack of books? Remember the Twinkie? And it's like, by the end of it, I'm like, remember when you used to watch original movies? Speaking of which, uh, if you want to hear some original soundtracks on some original movies, check out our 30-day free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service that we're giving away. The link is in the description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network for a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. And with that, here comes the money. Oh, that's never going to not make you smile. <laughs> what episode is that from, Robert? Oh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Uh, I that's wish the one I could. where he, well, I think he's buying stocks in that scene, isn't he? Um, I, I, I know the pumpkins bit is, is, is a different, is yeah, a different, the, I mean, a, but... like, 
that does narrow it down. There's still like double digit numbers of episodes where Homer gets into the financial side of things. All right. Well, uh, this was a big financial hit um, at the time of this recording, which is Tuesday, the Tuesday effort came out um, on a budget of only 75 million. Really? Oh, hold on. Seriously? Yeah, 75 million. This thing wow. is really cheap, man. I yeah, the, like I, I was expecting at least 100. The most expensive thing about this is the fact that it got delayed. Like, um, probably like James Bond. Mm. We were, I, I had posted something in the chat today about James Bond um, having the same problem that BVS did, where it underperformed uh, in its expectations and it, it had a high budget. And even though it made something between seven and eight hundred million dollars, and I think they said it's going to peter out at about nine hundred million, it's still going to lose millions of dollars for MGM because the, the delays made the balloon uh made the uh the budget balloon far higher than it was even the, even with the times two uh equation the fact that no time to die is going to make almost a billion dollars in 2021 mm -hmm. and it, it, again i'm not it's not going to get there but it's going to be close right that's one of the most wildly successful film that might be financially the most successful Hollywood release all year. It's going to be between that and uh, F9 somewhere. Like those two right. are kind well, of. Well, I think it's made more money than F9 at this point. It yeah. might have. The fact that it's going to do that mm -hmm. and still fail to really be a big financial windfall is entirely on studio mismanagement. You could not reasonably. That movie is doing more, even a little bit more than could reasonably be asked of it. Yeah. it's. I, I said this earlier and it bears repeating. I don't think we're going to see a financially. A big budget, smaller budget things that, that managed to find an audience aside. And there were a handful of those. We talked about that a few shows back. Hey, but oh. I mean, the, the average $200 million budgeted film will not make money probably until 2023, 2024. Like, probably. we're still digging out of the delayed releases. Like, I, you know, I think I read today that Ant-Man and the Wops wraps, wraps shooting um, Quantumanium rap shooting today they're still doing reshoots of like dr strange like there's stuff that's that's shooting Boy, now. they're horribly reshooting dr strange apparently <laughs> i've been uh, hearing rumors the reshoots on dr strange are because now that the fox buy has come in apparently they're yeah they're adding trying to, i guess it's like okay now we have options to do all these new characters right. let's have fun with it that's uh, that's the rumor did, i heard I, it could I, be i've heard wrong. patrick stewart and i've heard hugh jackman are being yeah, added to Doctor Strange, and and in all seriousness, depending on how they, depending on how extensive they want to go with that, mm -hmm. like how much stuff they want to put in, they might just wind up shooting the movie a second time, basically. <laughs> right. Did you guys hear but, Bill Murray is actually going to be in Quantum Mania? Yes, I did see that. They have not confirmed what his role is yet. The point that I'm, I hope he's Ooh, Galactus. Who do I, I hope want? He's Bill, but I hope he's Bill Murray as Galactus. Just, <laughs> just, just, that life sketch waiting to happen. Just ambling through space, looking at galaxies. <laughs> you know, just got, just got a Star Wars. Let me get those Star Wars. Um. Anyway, um, that, that's a meaning of planet. Anyway, the point being of me bringing any of that up is stuff shot between 2019 and 2021 will not make money stuff probably not 2021 and beyond that airs in 2023 2024 probably makes money like that's just you know that that's just the way because of covid because of the pandemic that's just the way it is the other thing i wanted to bring up is and, and ghostbusters is actually a really prime example of it very timely how 75 million dollars is not a huge budget how did this I, thing cost less to make than the last duel um <laughs> long story there um my point well, is sorry matt I, damon's beard commands a powerful paycheck 
That and I that think, look, that and Ben Affleck going white. The eighties and the nineties, the thing that made those movies successful is there was a lot of mid to low budget movies that did financially very, very well. They knew how to shoot a crowd pleasing feature on shoestring budgets back then. Um, with the advent of the Marvel movies, uh, and some you know, and some other ones, I think you know, like the Lord of the Rings uh, also oh. ushered this in. Came the rise of the two hundred million dollar budgets, but that's okay because everything made a billion dollars. I think We're the other thing that needs to be noted, mm -hmm. uh, and th this gets lost a lot when we talk about this trend in Hollywood, and I, I think it's something that needs to be given a bit more attention when this comes up. With the current reality of the home video market. Mm -hmm. Are you playing around with the settings? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, and all of a sudden, Robert and I do not exist. Uh, but with the current reality of this and how much streaming has changed things, mm -hmm. like pre-Netflix, and I mean original Netflix, when you could, like when you, when they sent you DVDs. Right. Like Back in streaming. the old day, when you had, we walked 15 miles uphill in the snow. Look, look, when Paul Rudd rolled in that television and said, I guess you guys are still on VHS, I felt that in my soul. <laughs> because that was part of my like educational experience. The fact that he keeps putting on horror movies kills me. I, I oh, please tell me I'm not the only one who's had teachers who just came in. And it's just like, oh, screw it, video. I'm gonna go read a. He's reading sure. an Avengers comic book. Tell my, me you uh, guys caught that. My ninth or tenth grade social studies teacher like bailed out after the first month, and we had a sub for like six months for the next six months, and like that's all we did. Like I don't think I did social studies in ninth grade. My first uh, French teacher was a drunk. Like yeah. everyone in the school knew she was a drunk. <laughs> and she came in every morning, hung over, and kept putting on movies <laughs> just to just to watch. And she didn't even put the French audio or subtitles on. She just put on I oh my god. You know that movie Polly with the, the, the talking parrot? Yeah. I must have seen that thing ten times. In that French class alone. When I got to French 2, my teacher said, who had blank blank for your French 1 class? Me and like five other students raised their hand. She goes, yeah, sorry. Right. You're probably not going to do well you, in this. You were starting to talk about a trend, Robert. Uh, there, was a, there was a time, like right around the time Netflix first became a thing, mm. uh, where a, a movie could have a second life after its theatrical run. It right. could become a big renter. It could become a big home video movie. Like it's the story of classics. Austin Powers. The story of Austin Powers. Mm -hmm. and look, Austin Powers, The Wizard of Oz, The Princess Bride, none of those were big theatrical hits. They all found second lives in home video. Right. With the death of that entire market, and <laughs> it is basically dead. Look, the paradigm has shifted. I'm not saying I'm not saying there's nothing to be had there, but it right. is very, very different. Films don't get a second life these days like that. And I think losing that you know, that kind of second chance for a film to make money has made studios even more gun-shy than they were to begin with. And when you're throwing around $100, $200 million, you're going to be gun-shy anyway. That's a lot of money. What I was positing was, to your point, we might be seeing a return to like the 80s, 90s, mid to low level budget movies because the whole reason why studios went in that direction of small budgets uh, was, was obviously to maximize profits. So if you had a hit on your, so if you had a loser, you didn't lose too much money. You only, you know, spent 10 million on it, 20 million. If you had a hit on your hands, if it made a hundred million, if it made 50 million, it made a hundred million, made 200 million, you had, it was a sub substantial financial windfall. 
when you're into $200 million budgets, it's a billion dollars a bust any given time. I mean, at, depending at, on, on, on the bottom end, it's maybe 700 million, but you're looking for a billion. Yeah, almost when you, months. when you factor in not only the 200, not only the $200 million straight budget mm -hmm. reshoots, don't all, uh, any reshoots that are done and reshoots are very common. Um, they're, not, they're not necessarily the death of a movie the way that we all tend to think that they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if but they are not always factored into the budget. Advertising is straight up not factored into the budget. Right. Which is a like that people talk. You brought up uh, like Dawn of like uh, Batman v Superman. Like that movie or uh, Justice League rather uh, might be the one that I'm thinking of. Like okay, this has to make a billion dollars. Well, its budget was 200 million. How did it do? It did 700, 800 million. Right. Why did it need a billion? Well, because they. They bought Super Bowl ads for that thing. <laughs> right. Not to mention, again, projections are meaningful. When you, when something is, when, yeah. when you're budgeting out your movie, when you, you know, when you green light it and then you give you, you give the director their budget, um, what's factored in is what it's projected earnings is to be. And when things are underperforming, I mean, are, is it going to put Warner Brothers out of business? No, but you're going to, you know, you're, you're you going to be gun shy. You do it enough <laughs> times, it might. <laughs> you end up being bought by Amazon. Um, you, you, you start to become gun shy when you're when you're talking about like I want to make this big two hundred million dollar thing. Well, okay, Steven Spielberg, we'll let you make your stupid movie, but here's ten million dollars. I need hundred and ninety more. Well, you need to go find independent financiers then because we're not giving it to you. Um, so I'm wondering if kind of Ghostbusters is a canary in the coal mine in the sense of a return to that level of uh, of production. We'll in any case, to, we'll have to wait and see what the budget is for the sequel. Um. <sighs> You know, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> no, Mark, no, I actually I just, get what Mark. I, I get what you're saying. To, I wanted to watch him die a little bit like that. <laughs> I get what you were saying about the sequel and the sequel baiting, but I personally thought they left it a little more open ended. I know mm -hmm. they took back Ecto One, but I don't think that means that the kid's story is open. I think that they really left it vague I mean, how they're gonna go with it, except to say with that blinking containment lights, like this isn't over. Yeah. So now, th th look, they formed a company to do more Ghostbuster stuff. I knew I knew we were going to get more of this. The the way they do it, the fashion they do it, the kinds of things they do, that's now up for grabs. But that's what this was. That's why I didn't get overly I didn't get overly angry or overly happily excited about this movie. I I knew what it was going to be. I knew what it was in service of. I don't think I was quite ready for the level of, you know, my childhood has been birthed back to life after Paul Feig killed it. Jesus, Mary and Joseph people. Anyway. Um... Yeah, just for the record, look, here's what Paul Feig did. This is all he did, mind you. He made a terrible movie. He made That's a movie. That's all he certain. did. All right. $63.9 you know, million dollars is what it's earned for the, Pete, for the love of Pete. On the $75 million uh, dollar budget, it has made $63.9 million. Um, Share your screen again, Mark. I thought... Ah, here we go. There, there we go. <laughs> On a uh, seventy-five million dollar budget, it's made sixty-three point nine million, which means this thing will end up being profitable at the end of the day. I don't know. I don't know what it needs to do to get past the point where, because if this was the later year, I don't know how much that factors into how much more it has to earn. But I think at the end of the day, um, even with some, you know, with Encanto coming out tomorrow and then uh, Spider-Man in a few weeks how much time it's got but i think at the end of the day when we look back on the six six to seven weeks from now you know it'll have been at least minimally profitable um, i tend to i'm curious about what's going to strike me with this movie i 
I'm not sure how rewatchable it's going to be. Um, and I think that's going to be a big question. That, that's just a question mark at the moment. I don't know. It might have high rewatch val rewatch value for the general public. It might have very little. I, I'm curious. It's it's drops. It's next week's drop is going to be pretty significant, mm -hmm. um, just because of what's coming out. I'm it's more curious with the Disney film. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm more curious how it holds. Like once it falls to the it to the like four to seven spot. Mm -hmm. How does it hold within that range more so than oh no it dropped out of number one like it's here's the thing drop. other than Disney its direct competitor doesn't come out for a month from now a little less than a month and that's Spider Man and that's December seventeenth um, on the way to that it's got nothing on December third well, I mean there's Wolf <laughs> but other than that it, there's nothing um, then West Side Story and then Spider Man um, so and Nightmare Alley. So it's got some breathing room in terms yeah. of direct competition, but like nothing's coming out. You know, like I said, Encanto, Resident Evil, West Side Story, and you know, before the before <laughs> nothing else will matter when Spider Man comes out, which I project is the closest thing we're going to get to a billion dollar movie this year. In any case, you know, no surprises here. Ghostbusters Afterlife um, was the number one movie of the weekend, grossing uh, forty four million dollars uh, plus. Eternals fell from one to two. Oh, um and lost <laughs> and dropped fifty eight point seven percent. Yep. Um, I just need to point this out. We're in the third week for Eternals, mm -hmm. and it's to it's total gross right now is sitting at one hundred and thirty six million dollars. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> um, Clifford the Big Red Dog, which went day and day on Paramount Plus, got greenlit for a sequel because of nothing matters and time is a flat circle. Um, that Mark, we need we need a new. Yes. I, Hang on, say that on camera so that maybe Paramount will give us money. Jonas, are you excited about the Clifford sequel? Yeah, I didn't even know that was actually going to happen. Just say you're excited. I am. Good. Now get out of here. Ah. Get out of here. You bother me. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying, uh, Robert. Look, I. Studio studio meetings at this point are just whose line is it anyway? Everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> uh, King Richard went went day and day on HBO Max. Uh, should I do it, Robert? Should I do it? Sure. Boy, did that thing bomb? Um, did anyone see King Richard? Uh, it's on my list of stuff. I will so watch it eventually, but I haven't yet. I'll probably catch it on HBO Max at some point, but yeesh. Yeah, five million. That gets the gas phase. Yeah, I hate to say it. I'm not a big enough fan of the Williams sisters in the first place to really be. I mean, they're awesome, but mm -hmm. I, I'm not a tennis fan. So when I saw it, I was like, okay. Dune. Look, also look, their... Will Smith is in his please give me an Oscar mode. That's all it is. Dune is the biggest hit of the day and date movies this year in terms Easily. of financial viability. That dropped from three to five and dropped 42.7. Um, I, was, I still remember. I can't remember which one movie it was a couple of weeks ago that we reviewed, but we were looking at Dune hadn't come out yet, but it had come out overseas. And I remember looking right. and going, wait, Dune's already made that from overseas markets? Yeah, Dune and James Bond uh, on foreign box office receipts is killing it. Uh, Venom is now PVOD, um, and that is, that dropped from five to six. No Time to Die is PVOD, and that went from four to seven. The French Dispatch, which nobody freaking saw. Jesus Christ. Enough people saw it to put it at number eight. Yeah, for the second week in a row. 
Belfast, which is looking like it's going to end up winning Best Picture for this year. It's something I want to go see. I just probably going to have to wait for it to go PVOD. It's uh, certainly a big contender for a lot of awards. A yeah. lot of people are speaking very, very highly of it. Uh, a sneaky suspicion we're going to end up doing that as a quick review when we're trying to cash in on uh, award look, trending. Yeah. Look, I'm going to make the, if we do that, I'm going to make the obvious joke and we're all just going to have to deal with it. Okay. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have no idea where you're going with this. Jamie Dornan in a black and white movie. Oh, for fuck's sake. All right. Seven, Belfast, seven to nine. <laughs> uh, Ron's Going Wrong just got announced to be um, appearing on Disney Plus, I think, December 15th. That dropped from six to ten. Spencer, which is already now PVOD after like two weeks. I've heard really good things about that. Yep, that's on our list. That's on your and I list to do a triple feature for in January, right? Uh, along with House of Gucci and the Eyes of Tammy Faye. I've, I've heard some mixed things about Spencer, so I'm curious to hear what you guys I've, think. I've heard, it. I've heard, I've heard Kristen Stewart's in contention for a uh, Best Actress award. So of that's course. what I've heard too, which is baffling because I have never been a fan of her acting. I mean, I'm, I'm glad she's finally getting better, but so many of her early movies, like this, is Kristen Stewart in her early movies. <laughs> um that's all she does antlers fell from 10 to 12 um sorry about don't, don't bother trying to pronounce that mark <laughs> 13 second week in a row last night in soho which i think has already gone pvod 12 to 14 Halloween kills day and date on peacock 11 to 15 evil good for, for the record good for halloween kills getting almost 100 million dollars despite being day and date on a service that no one has um, something called India Sweets and Spices debuted at number 16, which nobody saw. The Adams Family 2, which debuted PVOD, went 14 to 17. Come on, come on, speaking of black and white movies, debuted at number 18. The Battle of Lake Shanjing, which I guess is now available. Um, I'm, I don't know why. This thing has been out and was like the number one movie in the world. I don't know why it's Hold on. It was because it's finally released in markets outside of China. That's what I thought. Okay. I was starting to say that. And then I was like, is that right? So anyway, debuted at number 19. Anita, 17 to 20. The first wave debuted at number 21. Shang-Chi, which is now on Disney Plus, uh, got 15 to 22. The Last Duel, which I think is now Peabod, um, and is and is causing much consternation for poor Ridley Scott. Look, I've uh, dropped said, from 16 I've to said, 23. I've been saying this for years. Mm -hmm. Ridley Scott doesn't have the same line of demarcation that francis ford coppola does where everything before is great and everything after is crap mm -hmm. but there's a pretty clear downward trend in scott's work and there has been for the last two decades i i feel like i need to see kind of like a heat scene or you know coffee and cigarette scene between martin scorsese and ridley scott just kvetching about the state of film um i would watch that just, I would watch just that throw a co yeah and then the waiter comes up and says you know i really love the newest avengers movie and just and they, watch those two lose their <laughs> shit and they go oz on him um the, <laughs> young, the youngest evangelist debuted uh, okay 25. you know south park's gonna make that scene now right <laughs> i hope uh they haven't yet <laughs> Debuting well, at number they did with Indiana Jones, but that's different. They, they, yeah, they did. Uh, they mm -hmm. debuting at number twenty six is Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time, um, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, which sounds amazing. What the hell? Number that's a that's a title of a movie. Okay, Bad Matt, Luck Banging we, or Looney Porn. We know what Mark's looking up as soon as we get done here. God damn well, right, as as we're I'm done nothing. I I'm pulling this up on <laughs> Wikipedia right now. Yeah, let me know if that's Pivot because that's what I'm doing when this is over. Um, I was a simple man at number 30, the feast at number 31, and below the fold number 32. 
Oh um, shit! Bad luck banging is a Romanian comedy drama. Okay. Oh, let me call. Let me call my husband. It's like, hey, your country actually made something. All right. Uh, so we are in an early release weekend because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So tomorrow, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. Your wide releases are Resident Evil: Welcome to Raccoon City, which is a reboot of that and getting great series. Encanto, which is the latest Walt Disney Studios animated motion picture. It might um, be the final nail in the coffin of Lynn Manuel Miranda. Shut up. Um, what are you talking it's, about? It's it's already sitting at over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. People are yeah, loving it's it. It's fine. Um, and then House of Gucci, which is apparently is a giant mess, according to critics. Um, they say it's a fun mess, though. They say it's a mess, but it's a fun mess. It's a, it's a stylish mess. It's, it's like if a high-class person took a picture of their... Another possible that. Oscar contender, Licorice Pizza comes out in limited release on friday and then on the third again we've got uh a wolf is in wide release cool i thought that was gonna be limited release from focus features um and that's really it and then like he said um we've got you know red uh, west side story that comes out december 10th and then uh, nightmare alley and spider-man no way home coming out december 17th so um nothing really impactful for ghostbusters afterlife until spider-man which we've already talked about so with that said it is time to do everyone's favorite part of this show the critical review are you ready no i said So I said in the chat earlier that I almost like I had muted it because I, I didn't really want to be part of the discussion that was taking place, but also I needed to focus on preparation for the show and, and to do some I'm, I'm re-airing a lot of our old Christmas uh, podcasts, you know, the Harley Quinn holiday special, the Tarja Christmas album, stuff like that. So I'm building pages for it set for Christmas week. And I just I, I didn't want to be distracted. And then I go to Rotten Tomatoes to, you know, to get all my pages ready to do this. And I see that the tomato meter for Ghostbusters is like 95% and the audience score is like 95%. And I'm like, I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I need to go walk into the woods to live deliberately is how that goes. Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. That's that's the phrase, the phase. And I and I and I that's when I started to post it in the chat. I'm like, oh, my God, like the critics even couldn't get over themselves with this stupid movie. And then I looked at it again. I'm like, oh, that's the original. All right, that's not much better, but at least now I don't have to, Look, you're, I, I don't have to walk into oncoming traffic. Mark, your inability to, like, I don't know what, like, I have so many things. I don't have a one-to-one -one comparison for you and Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, like, there's so many things that the way you are with Ghostbusters is the way I am with so much stuff. But you and that, you and the original Ghostbusters is a weird weird bit of reality i like it so much but jesus christ people are you know just act like there would be no childhood without it and it's like come on man have some self-control like really the he-man gi joe transformers nope just ghostbusters all righty well, hang on in fairness when you <laughs> consider what's happened to transformers gi <laughs> joe <laughs> And Everyone just going, please, recently, leave, please leave Ghostbusters alone. Look, <laughs> uh, look, we, we've got like, I don't know what it is, but there is a nucleus. 
Like there's one, there's one singular point, and then there's all these ancillary properties. And one by one, they're just getting eaten up and eaten up and eaten up. And then the, the defense gets gets wilder and wilder and wilder. And then so, in the next three to five years, somebody's going to poke the nucleus. And like I said, I don't know what it is. I don't know which property it is, but it's going to be something. Somebody's going to poke it. We're going to remake. We're going to reboot. We're going to revisit whatever. And catastrophe will ensue. And lobster. Speaking of lobster. This... I feel like it's going to be back to the future. Like my, my hunch. Oh, Jesse will be sad. Uh, this segment he will is start, by... like he will lead the riots. Like Jesse, he we're going to be footnotes in the Jesse Starcher trial at some point. Like well, like the speaking biography. Of foot, speaking of footnotes and riots, this section is brought to you by Grammarly. Um, for you listeners of Damn You Hollywood on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, brought to you by W2M, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and statistical style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network to download Grammarly for free all righty uh as we can see here the critics gave uh coming in at 62 percent, and the audience score coming in covered in goo um ghostbusters <laughs> afterlife crosses the, 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 no, no, no. the audience score is laying there in the hallway <laughs> saying, slime, slime me. Me. Yeah, i was gonna yeah. say mark if you're gonna you know give a reference at that's least get great it right. did you get a sample <laughs> that's great ray save some for me <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife crosses the streams between franchise revival and exercise in nostalgia. And this time around, the Bustin mostly feels good. To be Are fair, you proud of yourself, Rotten Tomatoes? Hold on, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a consensus <laughs> amalgamation, probably put together by Grammarly's AI. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm willing to be a little bit more lenient in the stupidity there. And to be fair, also, that is kind of where we landed on this one. So in my tantruming earlier, I wrote a review. I don't normally do this, but I wrote a review on Rotten Tomatoes. You want to hear it? Here go. It's not an objectively good movie, but fans of the franchise and children will be wildly satisfied and or entertained by it. It services the rehabilitation of the franchise well enough. You could. E I expect you to go back and put that as your review for The Force Awakens. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, Master. Okay, so let's see who's going to have our favorite tick bird review of the night. <laughs> let's find out. All righty. Uh, Dan Geyer of Chicago Daily Herald. An abject lack of mystery, magic, and awe haunts the production, especially when Phoebe remains perfectly placid when chess pieces move by themselves as she nonchalantly plays a game with an unseen entity as if it were nothing unusual. She doesn't just go like... Oh, she she sees a move and then she's like, wait, and she's trying to like you see the gears turning in her head when she's playing chess like that. Although I, I will admit, I never understood why Egon took the knight and just like flew it. I actually was like, well, that's kind of aggressive to your granddaughter. I, I assume it's a lack of fine motor control is how I interpreted that. I don't think that's an unfair point about the, the mystery in particular. Yeah. The, again, the trailer and the marketing for this movie killed whatever mystery this thing was going to potentially go for. I think that's a problem. I might disagree slightly on the awe factor 
There's some mm. nice stuff, like especially the cinematography for this movie is quite good. It's some right. great I, landscape shots. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally. got a couple. So speaking of Tickbird reviews, I got a couple of good ones here. Alicia Gilstorf of Tilt Magazine, Ghostbusters Afterlife proves it ain't afraid of no ghosts, but it is afraid of originality, and so are you, madam. How is that a positive? I mean, she's got the red. How is that red? <laughs> you can you can be critical and still fall on the positive side. I just hate it when Ron Tomatoes does this, when they pick the quote and it's clear the quote is saying one thing, but their review they gave, which is giving the, you know, tomato or splat is another. Again, it's like, I don't know if that's an algorithm thing or if there is some idiot working the site picking the stuff, but I need that. I agree. If you're going to give a mixed review that leans positive or negative, you should be able to find a sentence that is appropriately mixed that reflects what's going on. Eric Kane of Forbes. It's a great Forbes. movie in its own right. And honestly, it's better pacing than the original. Get no, it doesn't. Bent. Oh my God. <laughs> that... Again, Jason Raymond has a does pacing very, very different. I'm not gonna say that, you know, it's like if you're a fan of the slower pacing, then you're wrong. But mm-hmm. but Ivan Reitman's pacing is way better. It, that's a that's an utterly ludicrous point. You, you cannot, in good conscience, stand behind that as a as a point of crit. Look, you want to so say remember, there's things. So this remember thing does before better. when I said I wish there had been a little bit more of the Ghostbusters actually busting ghosts and not just. And I know what you said, Alexis, but it doesn't change the fact that that's what it was. Just a montage of them walking out with traps. That's a guy that wishes the whole movie from the like from the logo to the credits was them running around busting goats i'm sure see, he, I always i'm assumed, sure he appreciates michael bay's screenwriting see i always assumed it was a budget cut thing because in the second movie when they have the montage you see a lot more ghosts and right. a lot more busting so i just always assumed they only had so much money for the for just like a couple of specific right. ghosts can you only watch only the, rotoscope the, so much well i was gonna say have you watched the movies that made us because they talk about how like what a crazy production this was so i yeah that's that's a part of it uh cameron this is for you robert cameron meyer of meyermovies.com no does not what? deserve it Quite simply, the most fun you'll have at the movies this year. I'm Don't you so, tell me to have fun. <laughs> I'm so glad Cameron Meyer is here to express to me and to all of us other plebeians how we should feel. Boy, if this was the most fun I was going to have at the movies all year, I might slit my wrists. For the record, I adore this movie, but the most fun I've had with the movies this year was The Suicide Squad. Hannah like, there's, Strong. There's, oh. How dare you, Dick? <laughs> what me or Cameron? Not him. I was gonna say, what did I just get involved? No, no, for liking no. James like I, Suicide Squad. No, knock yourself no. out. I don't care. Yeah, no, I love that movie. I've seen it a dozen times already. I got the freaking Blu-ray. Hannah Strong of Little White Lies, top critic, Red Star, haunting, but not in a good way. I'm sure you're proud of yourself for that little <laughs> bit of quasi witticism. And what it does even- not even work for this review. It's like this movie. It's like no, if it's haunting, it's. If you're haunt, if you feel haunted by this movie, it's because it's good. This is not a haunting in a bad way kind of movie. This might, that one might even call that witticism only half. <laughs> Edwin Arnaudin of Asheville Movies, the year's most pleasant cinematic experience, sir. How dare you? And he says, so, "Hang on." He says, "Surprise, not experience." Sorry, the year's most pleasant cinematic surprise. Look, I don't know what your expectations were, but don't speak to mine. Yeah. That said. I don't. I don't entirely disagree with his premise. Simply his uh, the way in which he phrases it. I think you could use pleasant to describe this movie. Yeah, 
by and large. Jana Manji, Age of the Geek, writing quite possibly the most blandest thing I've seen tonight. The film is a sequel to the 1984 and 1989 Ghostbuster films and brings diversity to the Ghostbusting business with a new generation. Because you work- that's your biggest takeaway from this? I was going to say, okay. do you work for Sony Marketing? Not, <laughs> not only that, can we just for one split second talk about how the fact the first two movies are set in New York in the 80s? There's plenty of diversity that goes on in those movies, guys. Yeah, it's like, yes, congratulations. Two of the kids in the Ghostbuster, one is Asian and one is black. But frankly, that's a this, footnote, if anything. They're, they're, good, not, they're great characters. This is not a franchise where diversity is a thing, has ever been a negative. Like, there's some, there are some franchises that lean too heavily on elements of you know, uh, racial identity. And again, sometimes better, sometimes worse, whatever. Ghostbusters has never been that franchise, ever. Patrick McDonald of WBGR FM 93.7 FM, going through a bit of brain damage. <laughs> By the time the original G Busters show up, it has devolved into a daddy issue drama with special effects which was very creepy by the end, but not in a spooky or funny way. God what? forbid this movie be anything but a montage of how special do you, effects. How do you get to creepy at the end of this? Like, I'm genuinely curious. Getting love you, Harold Ramis. How do you what. get to the daddy issue drama? That's your, if, again, that's your focus? Even if you're not a fan of Harold Ramis, and I, will accept, with you? I will accept a variety of opinions on that perspective, sure. That's not a creepy setup for the ending. Well, okay. You know what? No, you know what's creepy about the ending? The, uh, you know, the 12-year-old's podcast having one subscriber in the form of a 60-year-old Dan Aykroyd. By the way. I actually thought that was cute. The half and the guy. So do I. But I'm like, if you wanted to find something creepy. Did Dan Aykroyd forget how to act? He sucks in that scene. He has forgotten how to act ever since he did the voice of Yogi Bear. Casey, I was wondering what your take on that was going to be. I thought me and you were going to get into a fight, so I'm glad you agree with me. I don't know what happened to Dan Aykroyd, who used to be hysterical, but that his line readings were awful. Like I don't know if Ivan, if, if Jason Reitman just didn't want to direct him because I don't want to tell the old man how to do his job, but that was I'm like, ugh. You that- kind, I hate to say, you kind of get the feeling that when those three showed up, Reitman was just like too intimidated by them to tell me anything and credit to murray and hudson those two did not need any major direction they were still freaking amazing they those two slipped back into those characters like it was nothing right yeah dan Aykroyd, however has lost his mind why does okay and i'm not gonna lie the tattoo of the revelations thing on his arm i'm sorry but i will say it that i thought was particularly stupid it really, <laughs> especially for that character, like that guy's not going anywhere near a needle. Ed Whitfield, the Utre, the Utre, Robert. You love that particular outlet. <laughs> I don't even, he could have listed ingredients in rabbit stew. I would have read it just to say, the Utre. Jason Reitman, with the best intentions, has inherited the mantle, but misunderstood the appeal of his dad's film. He turned Seinfeld into family ties. God forbid this movie be about something. I don't get that final sentence at all. He turned I, he, he turned a schlubby comedy about Animal House guys into a family drama. I think you needed a much better metaphor for that than Seinfeld into family ties. First of all, just by the by. 
<laughs> like, first of all, Seinfeld sucks. I know I'm in the minority in this opinion, but secondly, Family Ties was from the '80s, wasn't it? There, you're, it's you're it, not that many people probably remember it, let alone yeah. know what it is. Yeah, it's a bit of a dated reference. Um, John Urbanson of J Movies with a U. It once more simply endorses Ray Parker's classical lyrical claim, Busted makes you feel good. All right. <laughs> oh, moving on. This was, by the way, that was an awful review. It really okay. was. Sean Burns of North Shore Movies, A Dungeon of Necrophilia. What? <laughs> I don't know why you copy and I don't know why you copy pasted your search history into your movie <laughs> review show. But uh, really, okay, Robert, Robert props that is one of the funniest things said on the show in a while. All right, we'll end with this one. Um, well, actually, we'll end with these these last two, and we'll call it a night. Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies, our favorite you reviewer these days. Okay, you know what? Because I know he is. I will bust it out for him. You self-employed loser. Thank you. It's the David S. Pumpkins of Ghostbusters movies. It does its own thing. I don't okay, understand Am I the only reference. one that's not a fan of the David S. Pumpkins bit? I don't even know what that is. I genuinely was... don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. David S. Pumpkins was a... Have you seen images of Tom Hanks in a shirt suit with a pumpkin pattern on? And he's kind of got a fro going. Okay, this was an SNL sketch from a couple of years ago where this these two go into this haunted house and it's like a haunted elevator and every floor is a different scare kind of a thing. And they but this one guy keeps showing up going, I'm David is pumpkins, and he's dancing with these skeletons. And the joke is that the couple don't get why he's there and why he's scary, but they keep bringing him back. And it has just materialized into this crazy phenomenon where I do not get the appeal because it is doing what Saturday Night Live unfortunately repeatedly falls back on, doing something that's not funny and then saying it's not funny and then thinking that there's a joke in saying how it's not funny. Okay, for the record, and this needs to be said so everyone understands this. Saturday Night Live reached a critical point of going downhill when Chris Kattan left in the early 2000s. By the time Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey booked it off of there, it has it, it's a dumpster fire that has never recovered. Speaking of dumpster fires that never recovered, James Vernier of Boston Herald, who wants Stranger Things with plot and characters from Ghostbusters? How do you possibly arrive at that comparison other than the existence of one actor? admittedly there is kind of a feel but i always felt that was more just because stranger things being a callback to that kind of 80s timeline felt a little bit like it took some ghostbusters sure. so yeah if you don't get that then you can see that this ghostbusters takes a little bit by stranger things but it's like no stranger things took stuff from the original ghostbusters allow me to and you're not you might not get this because i don't know how much modern wrestling you're watching these days alexis but if you'll indulge me for a moment robert will get this the kind of thinking that both goes on within studio executives and they're thinking about greenlighting things, and apparently also with critics, with with criticisms like that, is the same kind of thinking that went on in AEW when they said, you know, Darby Allen paints his face, Sting paints his face, we should put them two together because painted faces, even though there was no other earthly reason to put Sting with Darby Allen. 
it's the same thing here. It's like, well, Stranger Things draws influence from Ghostbusters. Therefore, Ghostbusters draws influence from Stranger Things. It's like, it, 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 not everything's eating its own tail, people. It's also, it's also like a sadly desperate reference to try and connect. With, like, this doesn't, the only thing you have in connection with this and Stranger Things, and I, I mean this sincerely, the use of children and Finn Wolfhard as an actor. Yeah. Other than that, there is no overlap thematically. Also, there is no overlap tonally. There is nothing. That also goes to my reference of Darby Allen and Stan. Yeah. It's like, well, Finn Wolfhart was in Stranger Things. Therefore, this is Stranger Things as Ghostbusters. It's like, please, please be able to rub two brain more than two brain cells together to form a coherent thought. And speaking of coherent thoughts, that's the end of our review. Um, tomorrow, what are we doing? Uh, tomorrow... We have a re-airing of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, My Life as a Weapon to coincide with the release of Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. Die and hard with a bow and arrow. And in the evening time, <laughs> uh, myself, Alexis, and Robert will have a decidedly more fun time talking the latest Bruce Campbell, um, what do you call it, Splatstick? This uh, one, it's a little bit Splatsticky, yeah. Black Friday. Um, yesterday, early horror train- comedy. But yesterday, myself and the podsman of Chris Bailey and Christian. Yes, Christian is back. He's in the family again after his exile. Uh, we reviewed Survivor Series, and Robert Winfrey was there in the peanut gallery, yelling at all three of us, "Hey, maybe you could watch the product. You knew what you know what was going on." Yeah, that's not going to happen. Look, Mark, <laughs> I'm I'm only gonna I'm gonna direct this at you because I know you don't watch week to week. Mm-hmm. If your response when you show up every once every couple of months is Hey, what happened? Why does it... <laughs> that's not on them all the time? <laughs> no, no, I get it. I I don't l- totally lay that at their feet, but I I, I one ha- I do have to ask at times. I don't know who this person is. What's happening here? Um, I le- I was legitimately surprised to see Austin Theory on on Survivor he's, Series. Like, when did he get on called Raw up to the main the roster? Last, like the last four or five weeks. Yes, and want to know when the last time I watched Raw or NXT was? Same answer. Um, no, um, <laughs> you, it, it's been longer. Yesterday, myself and Sean Comer uh, reviewed the final uh, entry into the Resident Evil franchise, Resident Evil, the final chapter, and we re-aired our first on trial that we did of the original Resident Evil movie. Uh, Elizabeth Faust, a good friend of ours of the family, who is a, also a musical theater person, came on and did a triple feature with me for um, Andrew Garfield's Tick, Tick, Boom. The, uh, everyone's talking about Jamie and Diana the Musical. Uh, Andrew Garfield, serious contention for best actor at this year's Oscars. Tick, tick, boom. He was amazing in Tick, Tick, Boom. I didn't um, know he could sing. And yeah, apparently he... nothing else was. <laughs> no, it was good. Elizabeth and I had a really good conversation about it. It took about 45 minutes of the whole review. So if you're interested in musicals, check out what Elizabeth and I had to say. She was great. I'm hoping to get get this. So she got. So she's the one that got my wife into the smutty books. And uh, and the, the smutty book reading has led itself to its inevitable conclusion. My wife is currently reading the Fifty Shades books. Oh, dear God. So I, because I am always thinking about content, have hornswoggled my wife and possibly Elizabeth Faust into doing a long road to ruin for the Fifty Shades movies. I think he just scared off Winfrey forever. It's entirely possible. 
You so, did not right. scare me off. My camera's just dead. But it throws on you smiling, like smirking fantastically. I, sm I smirked before <laughs> you mentioned 50 sh the, the abomination that is the Fifty Shades franchise. Okay. So look for that. I also want to see if I can get my wife to do an on trial for secretary since she's into the smutty BDSM books. You know, there's actually, hang on. Secretary's I, great. Secretary is actually not a bad movie, all things, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that in the in the gross sense. way. You're not talking like that way. It's actually like no, legitimately like, well written. Yeah, it's well written, and the it's one of the better acting jobs Maggie, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal has ever done. And James Spader mm -hmm. is James Spader. Like yep. it's it's actually a decent movie. <laughs> so if I can get so I can rope the two of them into that. Look for a possible, possible, possible Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. Long Road Druin for Fifty Shades and On Trial for a Secretary. Um, in any case, stuff we're actually doing. Um, on Thursday, we've got my son and I, speaking of family members, we're going to be doing a triple feature of Clifford the Big Red Dog, Home Sweet Home Alone, and 8-Bit Christmas, which will be oh, day and date on Thanksgiving you, you on then HBO must, Max. I will find it for you if you haven't seen it already. There is a pitch meeting for Home Sweet Home Alone. I have already watched it. Um, <laughs> Good. I expect you to reference it at least once. <laughs> we are also re-airing the first turkey we ever reviewed on the Metal Hammer of Doom, which is Metallica Saint Anger, or as I like to call it, uh, Lars Ulrich banging on pots and pans for some odd reason. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff on Friday, a re-airing of our Celtic Frost Cold Lake review, the two Welcome to the Doom saloons that we did. And in the evening time, we're not just live streaming boxing. Yeah, buddy. We're going to live stream Clutch live from the Doom Saloon Volume 4. Myself Good and Jesse luck. are going to listen to the show. And we're going to, well, we're not going to show the footage. But we're going to watch it. And we're going to talk about it and geek out on Clutch. And then Saturday, Robert Winfrey and I will be watching, finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. You've uh, got to retire that guy. I will not, will not, will not. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> you, okay, not retire. Cut back. Unfortunately, he has said it so many times that when I actually think his name, it repeats three times in my head. It has now become just like muscle memory. If you were to, if you were to write his obituary, it would be Chris Bailey. Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. Uh, finally, Tiafima Lopez versus George Cambosis on DAZN. Thank your Uncle Eddie Hearn, kids. Thanks, Eddie, uh, for saving that from Triller, that terrible no, organization. No, 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 no. They didn't save it from Triller. Okay. Triller defaulted on their payment because they realized they couldn't afford what they bid. Right. So it, it wasn't Eddie Hearn coming in and going, let me save you. It was them going, all right, we'll default on the, I forget what their down payment was, $10, 15000000 million down payment. Mm -hmm. And whoever bid the next highest in their first bid gets it now. And that happened to be Eddie Hearn. Well, Robert and I will be live streaming Tiafima Lopez versus George Cambosis alternative commentary. Uh, lastly, on Sunday... Uh, because Encanto came out, uh, my wife, Alexis, Jesse, and uh, David Wright and others did Disney trivia for Trip Trip Trivia. That'll air on Sunday the 28th. As well first, as time, first time we've ever had to go into overtime because two of our players tied. So I had to pull more questions out just to try to break the tiebreaker. Tell me fun. at least one of you asked what Donald Duck's middle name was. No, that actually never came up. Ah. We'll be okay. re-airing our Swamp Thing review that Jesse and I did. And then in the evening time, another therapy session, just masquerading <laughs> as a review. Jason Teasley, Pat Mullen, and I will be reviewing you season two. All right. Alexis, uh, say what you want to say. Do what you want to do in Living Color. 
All right. So, yes, we just recorded Disney trivia. It was a lot of fun. Like I said, first time we've ever had to go into overtime on questions. Uh, we are actually also getting ready to record our next round of Tripped Up Trivia here in a few weeks. We are doing uh, Christmas trivia. And no, Mark, not every answer is going to be Dominic the donkey. <laughs> Dominic the donkey isn't real. I, I am. No, 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 no. I am shutting you both up. <laughs> Because I need to get through these plugs because I think my dog locked herself in my husband's office. So I need to get through this and go let her out before she chews on something. So, uh, yes, the theme is going to be Christmas. We're going to be talking Christmas movies, Christmas songs, Christmas traditions. And per the usual, we're looking for contestants. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter if you want to play. We always have a lot of fun doing this. It's also a great shout out if there's a project you want to plug. We love uh, inviting people in from other podcasts, other shows, uh, our uh, Disney trivia, we actually had a children's book author and illustrator who came in. He got to talk about his book series, had a lot of fun with that. So, again, Facebook, Twitter, if you want to uh, show us that you know that Dominic the Donkey is not real. And, of course, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and cheek, uh, where fashion meets fandom. I'm actually wearing, I uh, don't know if you two noticed I was wearing earrings for the first time on the show. These are actually made out of, can you tell what they are? Not at that distance. Uh, battleship tiles. They are. Battleship yep, battleship pieces. We're getting them online tonight. Uh, so we are getting ready for our Black Friday sale. It's going to kick off this weekend. Everything in both Etsy and uh, Handmade and Amazon on our shops is 20% off. But this is also kicking off our charity drive for every order that we receive. <laughs> God damn you, Mark! <laughs> You just interrupted my charity spiel for this? I interrupted nothing. You stopped talking. I'm going to kill him. I swear to God. <laughs> for the record, you could do this and you never thought to pull up my store or something. <laughs> Go on. For every order that we get from Black Friday to christmas eve uh, we will donate five dollars to chill or to saint jude's children's hospital we have done this charity drive for the why the hell is there deodorant listed in my product that's that's not for now that's that's, that's just, not mine uh, that's the generated ad mark sees those all yeah the time. no unfortunately because the name of my company is honeysuckle rose i get a lot of uh you know herbal supplement crap mixed in there but yes those are some of our pr wonderful products made from game pieces like monopoly clue scrabble and the like so again starting black friday everything is 20 percent off on our shops as you can see we've got a, a wide variety of fandoms and products to choose from and don't forget of course the charity drive you know your purchase will help out <laughs> Those in need. I swear to God, Mark, the next con I have Mark's is about Florida. To, Mark's about to be in need. <laughs> this is this is getting very duck amuck. It really is. All right, take me home, baby doll. Uh, all right. You can find me hosting the four one one Ground and Pound MMA podcast. If you're interested in the sport of mixed martial arts. That seems to have uh, had a pretty decent spike over the last couple of months. So I thank everyone. If you happen to be from this show and you migrated over there and found it, uh, thank you a tremendous amount. Uh, that 
particular podcast has bounced around hosting sites on occasion, and that's really messed up the numbers sometimes. But uh, I, I got a decent spike the last little bit and uh, did not really expect it to be that high. I expected a bit of a bump because we hit a couple of UFC pay-per-views back-to-back that were highly anticipated, and that usually bumps things. But it's kind of persisted just a touch. So I thank you all very much for that, if, uh, if any of you happen to be participating over there. I cover stuff for 411mania.com, professional wrestling on Monday, Wednesdays, and Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. That's AEW's Dark Elevation, MLW's weekly programming, and WWE SmackDown. And I cover whatever the UFC is doing on Saturday. There's no UFC event this Saturday, hence my ability to participate in Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosos. Uh, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast records Sundays, goes live Monday morning early usually. Uh, this last episode was a review of a fairly mediocre fight night. This coming one will be a preview of Rob Font and Jose Aldo, a very good bantamweight fight. Uh, Mark already ran down a bunch of the podcasting that I'll be doing over here, so be on the lookout for that. We have several coming up. Uh, we have Black Friday this tomorrow then we have Encanto. talk talk about our mma related triple feature we're doing oh yeah we are doing that recently there's the uh, triple feature for warrior born a champion and bruised with holly barry formerly of catwoman i don't know why that's material i was gonna say has she made a good movie since since she parted with the x-men i was gonna say since catwoman I was going to say since Monsters Ball, and either way, the answer is no. <laughs> Look, Halle Berry is, career-wise, she is very washed up. We'll see how she does in Bruise when we talk about her on our triple feature in, I think, two weeks. All right. Anything else? No, I think that's going to be it for me. So on behalf of Mark and Alexis, we thank you all very much for being here for Damn You Hollywood. We will see you next time. Until then, per usual, be well, be safe, and behave.